This morning we continue our series called Follow Me, and we're getting close to wrapping it up. In fact, next Sunday we will wrap it up as we find the last Follow Me invitation offered to Peter at the end of John's Gospel. But for today, the title of my message is Follow Me Into Service. Now you may have noticed that in our lobby we have uh, hung a new sign showing and articulating the five foundations that we believe every Christian life should be built upon. And those foundations are, of course, all culminated in the person of Jesus Christ. But in an active look at the book of Acts, we discovered that a healthy Christian life, a healthy believer, had all five of these components or foundations working actively within their life, and therefore allowing them a fruitful, healthy Christian life. Those five components are prayer, the Word of God, worship, fellowship, and the last of the five, and not necessarily in any particular order, is service. Here at Calvary Chapel, we believe that every single person in the body of Christ has been gifted by God in some unique way to serve the body of Christ to be an active participant in what God is doing in and through His church. The church is not a building. This building doesn't constitute a church. It's simply formed into a church to allow the church to gather. The church is you and I. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. We are the body of the church. And we are now supposed to continue that ministry, that mission that he set forth in his advent, in his coming. We are to continue that work. And I have discovered that as I have read through the book of Acts, which we will be looking at next after this series... After this series, we're going to be going into the book of Acts to look at Acts, the Acts of a Christian. We're going to rediscover what Christianity looks like. In the Follow Me, we discovered and rediscovered the call of the Christian, what God is asking us to do. Now we're going to see and demonstrate and watch and discover, rediscover possibly, what Christianity looks like through the actions of the early church. But that being said, Often when a Christian comes to me and they are in a place of an unhealthy status of some sort, I often go through these five points with them. How, are your, how is your prayer life? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you uh, worshiping God? And it's a little bit different than just coming and singing and praising God. The worship of God means the sacrifice of self in the glorific- pursuit of the glorification of Him. Uh, fellowship with other believers, key, really important to the health of our Christian life. But then there's the last, and that is service. And I have discovered that there are a lot of, and excuse me for saying this, fat sheep in the body of Christ. Very well taught, very well, uh, very knowledgeable in biblical doctrine, but they're not doing anything with it. They're not living it out. All theology is meant to be lived out in the believer's life. That was every intention of every apostle. They would teach us the realities and the truth of the Christian faith concerning Jesus and all of the doctrine that he um, has given us. 
But then it was meant to be lived out. It was meant to be played out in our lives. And as we live it out, one of those ways that we can live it out is through our service towards one another. And so there's a lot of Christians who are doing a lot of good things. They're in fellowship. They're worshiping God. They're in the Word. They're in prayer. But they're still seemingly lacking in their Christian life experience. And it's because they're not serving. They're not giving of themselves. They're not laying themselves down and offering themselves and being part of the body of Christ. You see, I believe that God says that there are no spectators in the body of Christ. Uh, There's nobody who rides the bench, okay? There's nobody who's up in the grandstand just watching as the drama unfolds, the redemptive drama unfolds before them, and they're inactive, and they're not a participant, and they're just cheering on those who are active. The Bible never describes an individual of such uh, status. We're all meant to be active, We are all body uh, members of the body of Christ. We are all play an important role in the body of Christ, and everyone is important. And when the body of Christ doesn't function properly, the church doesn't function properly. And again, I've seen that there are many who are in an unhealthy state in their Christian walk simply because they are not serving in some capacity. They are not allowing God to work through them for His glory, for His purposes, and for the edification of the body of Christ. Now, we do not serve God for ourselves. Uh, We don't serve God because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We serve God to glorify Him with our lives. That's why we serve God. It's not about us. It's all about Him. And it begins with these two words, follow me. If you are going to serve Jesus Christ, it begins by you following Him. Let's read verse 26 in John's Gospel, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 26. And then we're going to go back and we're going to bring it up to speed within its context. But listen to what Jesus says. If anyone serves me, what are the next two words? He must. It's not optional. He must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's what we are going to be looking at this morning. That's what we're going to be digging our teeth into to understand that our service for Christ, which is a necessity, which is a a necessary component of a healthy Christian life, must begin by us following personally Jesus Christ. It cannot activate in any other way apart from that. It must begin with us following Christ. Let's ask God to bless the word. Father, We now come before you and ask that you would work through your word and make these things real to us as your spirit shows us and guides us and leads us. Father, help us to understand that we're all meant to play a role, that there are no spectators. We're all meant to serve you in some way in the body of Christ for the edification of the body of Christ in pursuit of glorifying you with our entire life. So, Lord, speak to us. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 20, 
we find this verse in its context. Let's begin. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, there were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's begin by understanding the reply that Jesus gives in the context that we're given. We have individuals who come to Jesus wanting to see him. There are these Greeks who are apparently seeking an interview with Jesus. That's what the word means in the Greek for the word see. It means more of an interview with Jesus. They are asking now to have a one-on-one with him, a meeting with him. Now, we don't know if these are Gentiles who have converted to Judaism, who are God-fearers in that sense. We aren't told that. But they are Greeks seeking after Jesus. Coming to Philip, and Philip has a Greek name, so they might have felt comfortable approaching him and asking him to be the liaison to to grant them an audience with Jesus. But that's the context. Jesus is replying to Greek individuals. And some uh, of the connection between the uh, request and the reply may be fuzzy, it may be a little foggy, because we don't understand the culture today as, of course, they did, and they, of course, were part of it and grew up within it, so they understood it thoroughly. But apparently, Jesus seems to be enunciating... He seems to be uh, giving the reply that they need to hear, maybe not want to hear, but they need to hear. Because in the Greek culture, it was evidence that from the beginning, uh, the Greek culture felt that they were to discover life, to truly experience life, by finding every possible way of personal self-fulfillment. One expert on the background says this. He said, The paradox enunciates here as particular uh, equitability if judged as Christ's verdict on Greco-Roman ideologies of life. You can tell this book was written years ago. For the Greeks, the goal of human existence was bound up with self-fulfillment and attainment of personal maturity. Following Christ, however, involves sacrifice of oneself and one's own interest, a truth seen supremely in the cross of Christ itself. So they seem to be seeking answers in desiring to know how they could have a fulfilled, matured life. And then Jesus says, if you're going to serve me, you have to do what I am about to do. And he gives us three principles that are so important that we build all of our service upon. And those principles are found in verses 23 through 25. 
First here in verse 23, as Jesus replies and he answers them, it's not just the disciples. Apparently in the hearing, the Greeks were also there available to hear. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Principle number one. For us to serve God properly, we must first and foremost understand that now is the time that we glorify God. Let me help you see how I came to that conclusion. Throughout the entire gospel set, the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John, from the very moment that Jesus Christ was born, he was on mission, on task, wasn't he? Even at the young age of 13, when he was discovered uh, apart from his parents teaching in the temple, he was about his father's business. And then later on, after he was baptized by John, the Spirit of God coming upon him, we discover that it was almost as if his life was mapped out for him. He had these unique appointments with people at unique times. He had to be at certain places at certain times because it was all mapped out for him. He was on task. He was on mission. But he kept referring to an hour, a specific point in time where his entire ministry would culminate in one act. And often when they tried to stone him, when they tried to persecute him in the manner of uh, martyrism and death, he said that they, the Bible tells us that Jesus escapes because his hour had not yet come. That hour, of course, is referring to the cross. It's referring to that moment that he would be lifted up. It's referring to that moment that he would be buried in a grave and then rise on the third day. That was the hour that everything else worked up to. Now understand, the cross would have been nullified if anything that Jesus Christ had done from the time he was born till the time he went to the cross contradicted God's command and will for his life. You understand that? So every decision, everything that Jesus did was working together in conjunction to bring him to that point where his sacrifice of himself was accepted before the Father and that acceptance was confirmed in the resurrection. You understand that, right? His perfection didn't all of a, all of a sudden occur the moment he went to the cross. His perfection occurred from day one. Day one. I don't think we look at our lives in the same perspective, do we? As Christians, do you understand that your decisions matter? How you make decisions, those decisions matter to the overall end goal. What you say, what you do matters. It all culminates as God is bringing you along and, and, and each step of the way, God wants to use you that He may glorify Himself in and through you. But everything matters. Everything matters. And even in our failures, God takes those and brings about the end result that He still desires. Isn't that incredible? But now is your opportunity to glorify God through your life. He set his mission, and that mission was to fulfill the will of the Father perfectly. That was Jesus' mandate. That's what he did perfectly. And it culminated in the cross. 
and the sacrifice given at the cross would not have been acceptable if Jesus would have blown it beforehand. Think about these things for a moment. How often do we waste days, weeks, years of our lives And one of the things we must notice is that Jesus never allowed himself to get distracted from the mission in which God set him forth upon. How easily do we get distracted, off task, off mission, when it comes to our service of God? But that's what it is. It's our service towards God. That's whom we're serving. I am actually, in all honesty, not serving you in the ministry that I fulfill. I'm serving God. And God would have me serve you as your pastor. But first and foremost, my primary concern is my understanding and my uh, realization that I'm serving God with my life. If He's first and foremost. And as a result of that because of the call upon my life, because of the place in the body that he has placed me, I am your pastor, and therefore I serve you. One of the things we've done in American Christianity that we have to be incredibly aware of, and some of you here might be able to relate to what I'm about to say. Today, often, when churches speak about the service of the individual often you get the impression that you're not necessarily serving God within that offer, but an agenda that the church has set forth. That the leadership has gathered together and they decided a course of action and to bring about their plans, their purposes, they now set forth before the congregation saying, here is the vision and the goal that we have set and now it's up to you to make sure that we hit and obtain that goal. In that kind of construction, it's very hard to see how you're serving God in all of that. Do you know that there are actually churches that once their leadership sets a goal, whatever that goal may be, they then structure series, teaching series, to allow them to fulfill that goal. In a church in this area, they were going through a time where they were financially strapped So the leadership came to the idea that we need now to bring about a series that will motivate people to give. And so the church launched a series, The Seven Things That Gets God Fired Up. And guess what number two was? Giving. Number three, giving more. Number four, giving till it hurts. Giving beyond sacrifice. Number five, you know... And to me, that really clouds the agenda, doesn't it? Because now you don't know, am I serving God or am I just serving this particular church? Because remember, who's the head of the church? We established this at the beginning. Who's the head? Christ. Always. Christ is the head of this church. Now, if we have needs within the body of Christ, I think they should be presented as needs. Here's what we are facing. Here's what's happening. Maybe God would have you jump on board. And then allow that individual to pray and to seek the Lord to see if that's where God would have them fulfill and to serve. But if we simply subscribe people to an agenda, understand, I like the way one person said it, it is easy to rally people to a cause, it's much harder to rally them to Christ. So let us be aware 
that we serve God. Any service that we engage within is to glorify God. Okay? You are serving God. You're not serving me. You are serving the Lord. You're not serving Calvary Chapel. You're serving Christ. That's where it must begin. But number two, he lays down another thing. As he's on task, on mission, the hour now has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Obviously, this was what the moment that he had been preparing for, walking up to, set uh, before him as his objective. But then he goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, we know what Jesus is speaking of in hindsight. That he had to die, and then through his death, burial, and resurrection, there was going to be tremendous fruit through the gospel that was now able to be offered to the individual. But you and I, to serve God properly, need to understand a principle that's being laid here. And that is, we must die to ourselves Jesus knew that his fleshly body needed to die. Jesus was born to die. But in our new lives in Christ, we must have a certain attitude towards those new life, that new life. That new life is not given to us to spend upon ourselves our wants, our goals, and our objectives. For listen to what Paul says here. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our new lives that we have in Christ are meant to uh, give us the ability to separate ourselves from the old and to live within the new. And the very first thing that we do with this new life that God has given to us, we lay it before Him and saying, Lord, I, I'm a living sacrifice for You. Anything that You want me to do, wherever You would have me to go, that is what I will do. So it starts with the mindset of dying to ourselves and becoming a living sacrifice if we're going to serve God properly. And in that position of being a living sacrifice, Paul then goes on to say in Galatians 2.20 that it's no longer him who lives, but Christ who lives through him. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have become servants of God, bought and paid for, not by gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Christ. We then lay this new life that he has granted us and given us before him, saying, Lord, take me. Let me sum it up for you this way. Jesus said it perfectly. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And then understand that it is Christ, since you've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives through you for the purpose of glorifying the Father in heaven. Even Jesus himself said this, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Warren Worsby commented on these verses, and he said this, God's children are like seeds. They are small and insignificant, but they have life in them. God's life. However, that life can never be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to God and permit Him to plant us. We must die to self so that we may live unto God. The only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. That is what Christ meant here. That He wasn't going to fulfill all that God had for Him until He died and being planted like a seed. It was, a, it was an idiom used at that time uh, to show a, a multiplicity from one simple thing to many things. And Jesus uses that to describe what he is about to do. The third principle is found in verse 25. If we are going to serve God properly, we have to be aware of this world. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. One of the great antagonists to our commitment to Christ and our service to Him is the world around us. When you read the Gospels, ask yourself the question how often did Jesus get sidetracked by the world? How often did He get distracted by the things of this world? Your answer should be never. It never happened, it never occurred. Jesus is saying that the antagonistic element of this world will constantly look to distract you from fulfilling the purposes of God. But if you hate this life in this world and you see things as they truly are, that this is all temporal, folks. This is all passing away. This isn't reality in the sense that it is a final conclusion to all things. For the Bible tells us that there's a new heaven and a new earth that will take its effect after the Lord's return. But listen to the words of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. When John wrote this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. James puts it in a more politically correct form. Let me read it to you. James 4.4 You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James didn't hold any punches back, did he? I don't think he'd be invited out to many churches to speak these days. But let's be honest. The world distracts us from what we are doing. Constantly, in many different forms, in many different ways. But it's not only the temptations and the distractions of the world that we need to be aware of. Those are grave in and of themselves enough. Those will get you off task, off mission. But it's also the ideologies of the world, the philosophies of this world. And let me share with you one of them that I think has been detrimentally harmful to the body of Christ here in America. And it's taken place over the last 20 years. It's not something that happened automatically. It was something that happened gradually. 
but I actually think we're coming out of it now. I think it's run its course. And that is, when our society, our culture became consumer-driven, do you know so many Christians took that same ideology, that same philosophy, and brought it into the church? And no longer was it, how can I bless others? It was, how can the church bless me? It wasn't, and no longer was, how can I serve others? Now it was, how can the church serve me? And over the years of our existence, we have had people come to us and tell us that they are looking for a church, but they want to make sure it's the right church, and that sounds good initially until they qualify that. And then they go on to say, we want to make sure that we're getting the most bang for our buck. I actually had someone tell me that. And sure enough, as you begin to talk with them, they're looking for a church that is going to supply all of their needs. But they're not needs necessarily, they're wants too. We have to have this type of building with this type of stained glass, with these types of pews, with the right kind of pulpit. We need the right kind of pastor. We need the right kind of Sunday school. We need the right kind of this, the right kind of that. And it's all aesthetics. Nothing that really has core value to the overall mission of the church. But they became consumer-minded. So they were shopping for churches. And as they were shopping for churches, they were looking for the church that they could gain the most benefit from themselves without contributing anything to. That's the consumer mentality that's been detrimental to the body of Christ. Because it has fed into this mindset that it is all about me rather than being all about him. But Jesus said, be careful that if you are truly going to serve me, know that the hour has come. This is your life, the new life that God has given you, that you should serve God within it. That's what he gave it to you for. Number two, he told you very clearly that we must understand that we need to die to self if we are going to serve him properly. And number three, we must understand that we must hate this world in comparison to our love for those things of Christ. As one wrote about this, he said this, We are all called to hate our life in the sense that we disregard it but in the sense that we have freely given it up to God. Our life is precious to us, but only because it is something that we can give to Jesus. That's what he is asking us to do. If it's all about you, and if it's all about your wants, and if it's all about you and and what you're going to gain out of your following Christ, you're going to miss what you need to do to truly, properly serve him. And we come to our closing verse. Listen to his words again after we track through these verses. If anyone serves me, he must. Not, it's not optional. He must follow me. And where I am, here are the two promised benefits. There my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the second benefit is that the Father will honor him. We need to remember that if we have carried that consumer mentality, Jesus has given you a word of wisdom. In the description of his own personal mission, 
To any of those who carry that consumer mentality and it's all about us, remember what Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And once we move out of that mindset and and once we understand that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and that we need to humble ourselves and then he will exalt us rather than looking to exalt ourselves personally. This is where so many Christians are having such difficulty. They're not allowing the full working out of everything that they have allowed to come in through the teaching of the Word of God. And it's interesting because our society is so conscientious about you know, physical health, what we eat and how much we eat, and then how much we work out, etc. But when it comes to the Christian life, it just seems like we can just keep eating. and There isn't any repercussion. There isn't any... Uh, residual effects, but there is huge effects. God wants you to be seeking Him. He wants you to understand the gifting that He has given you that you may use it to edify the body of Christ and to glorify Him. But it all begins with our following Him. Knowing that now is the time, knowing that we must die to ourselves, and knowing that we must not be distracted by this world and the love for it, With eyes on Him, allowing Him to lead us, allowing Him to guide us, that is what we must do to follow Him and to serve Him. I like what Warren Worsby said. He said, in these words, Jesus challenges us today to surrender our lives to Him. Note the contrast. Loneliness or fruitfulness. Losing your life or keeping your life. Serving self or serving Christ. Pleasing self or receiving God's honor. I think it's amazing that the moment that Jesus Christ prepared himself for for 33 years was a moment in time from the human perspective that it seemed like an absolute failure in the life of Christ. From human perspective, we saw an individual be arrested, whipped and tortured, then carrying his cross down the Via Dolorosa there in Jerusalem, going out to Calvary and being crucified with two convicted thieves. The world looked on and mocked and laughed and scorned him at that moment. And that was the moment that Jesus prepared himself for his entire life. That was it. He did all that he did. He said all that he said. He came into this world for this purpose. And from our perspective, it looked like a complete failure from the human point of view. And yet it was the greatest achievement, accomplishment that has ever occurred. And then God substantiated that by on the third day, he rose again. You know, we all want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of of your Lord. But are we really considering what we must do to get there? How we must live each and every day. And how our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our words change or continue the objective that God has set before us? Do we really consider these things? Are you truly living for Christ? Or are you living for yourself as a reality that all Christians must contend with? I think of the example that Jesus stated. 
And that's what he means when he says, follow me. If you're going to serve me, you must follow me. Look at my example, learn from it, imitate it, copy it, repeat it. And where I am, there you will be also. And you will be honored by my Father in heaven as he was honored by his Father in heaven for staying on task, on mission, serving the Father with the banner of not my will, but your will be done. Follow me into service is the invitation given to us this morning. Will we heed it?